entering the Freedom Hut. The Supreme Court strikes a blow against lockdown tyranny. The battle for Georgia is underway. Biden's truly hard to believe election numbers. And it's time to open up all the schools now. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. I trust you had a lovely, restful thankful thanksgiving and you've already seen what i told you would happen which is this was never going to be about give up your freedom give up your liberty just for this one day no in fact the arguments that they made about how you should cancel thanksgiving about how you're not allowed to enjoy this holiday those arguments were inevitably going to extend past the holiday which raises a very important question Why can they never tell us the truth about what the real goals are? Why is it that those who are devoted, I would say ideologically, almost spiritually now devoted to the most extreme lockdowns possible. Why is it that they won't tell us what they really plan on doing? That we have to sit here and continuously get told, do this, and then we do it. And then it's, oh, but there's one more thing. Or we changed our mind or let's do something else now. Is it because the data is shifting or is it because they can't be honest with you and they can't be honest with themselves? They can't tell you what they really plan to do and they can't let you know that they've made so many mistakes in the past already. Here we are going into this period, going into the holidays And we were told that we weren't allowed to enjoy Thanksgiving. We were told that we had to assume that we were putting people in jeopardy if we spent time with loved ones over Thanksgiving. And and the way they set it up, it was, well, it's just this one thing. Wait two weeks, except in this case, it was wait a couple of days. Don't see anyone on Thanksgiving. Okay. well, now are we allowed to see people over Christmas? No, of course not. Are you allowed to? Celebrate Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, whatever your holiday season means for you. Are you told that now you're uh, cleared to spend time with relatives, to be around other people? No, no. The lockdowners are expanding the argument they made about one holiday into all of the holidays to come. This is what they do. Fifteen days to slow the spread became uh, became two months, became six months and so on. You've seen it happen. You know this. And that's why I think finally enough people have seen this. They understand the way that this is going to continue to unfold, that they say, I'm just not going to play the game anymore. I'm not going to obey. This is unacceptable to me. And they've received a very important uh, assistance here in that, you know how I've been saying What these mandates are is unconstitutional. I've been telling you this for months, that the Constitution still counts, that just because there are a bunch of Democrat politicians, not all Democrats, some Republicans, too, but just because there are Democrat politicians who think they've got a really good reason, it's really important. Their ideas, their goals really matter so much here. 
So the Constitution no longer counts. That's not how it works. That's not how our system was built. That ignores the principles and the separation of powers that gives our government the authority that it has in the first place. There are areas which we cannot allow the encroachment of the authorities under any circumstances and certainly not under extended ad hoc as they see fit circumstances. This was the first legal challenge that we've had that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And it showed that, yes, in fact, the restrictions on religious services were capricious, arbitrary, unconstitutional. This was the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn in New York versus Governor Cuomo. And by 5-4, it went in favor of the diocese and other uh, and other complainants. Uh, You had. In this instance, the uh, you had two synagogues, an Orthodox Jewish organization, two individuals and the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn. And they claim that Governor Cuomo in New York violated their constitutional protections for the free exercise of religion. And this was a 5-4 decision that in a sane world would have been 9-0. Here's here's what's at the heart of this. Now, they didn't say that there could never be restrictions on religious freedom, right? That that's actually not the it wasn't as sweeping an order as that. What they did say is you can't have vape stores and acupuncturists and, you know, pet therapists open and not allow people to go to church or give them different treatment. And that's what you were seeing. Democrats were giving disparate treatment to religious services. Because ultimately, the religion of the state, the religion of the authoritarian left, more important than actual connection to and celebration of one's relationship with God. That's what was going on here. Who do you think joined the three libs on the Supreme Court to make this one close? Thank heavens we have Amy Coney Barrett on the court. Uh, the only move for Trump, not only was it a good move, the only move was to get that done before the election. Could you imagine if he had waited? What would the point of that have been? Um, of course, John Roberts, who is yet another enduring legacy of failure and bad decision making of the Bush administration. Let's just be honest about that. John Roberts knows better, but he wants to be considered the the reasonable conservative on the court he wants to be the guy that the new york times doesn't totally trash he doesn't want people saying mean things about him at the cocktail parties right that's what's going on here john roberts joined the three libs in saying yeah no government can do whatever it wants through your religious freedom and services the constitution doesn't really count here sorry there's this virus out there that you know kills one in a thousand people who get it. So and if that uh, so we're, we're not allowed to have any constitutional religious freedom anymore. We're going to shut down your church. And, and they were they weren't even trying to make this intelligent. One thing that came up in this case is that you had the same restrictions on, say, St. Patrick's Cathedral here in New York City only allowed, you know, either it's 10 or 25, depending uh, on whether it's a red zone or an orange zone, and these zones were shifting 
think about this. You know, think about the, the pressure and the strain that they put on these institutions by not only putting caps on attendance, but putting caps that change that are, that are variable at any at any moment in time. So. You had a, a small, let's say a small, more like a chapel open to the public, had the same restrictions as St. Patrick's Cathedral. How does that make sense? How would a massive church that can fit thousands, why would that have the same attendance restrictions as a tiny chapel that has a small space, much less air circulation, much less ability to social distance and all this stuff? Well, of course, it doesn't make sense. And anybody with a moment's thought would figure that out. Anybody could understand right away that this is absurd. But now you see they've gotten you to agree to so much. They've forced so much absurd COVID policy down our throats, jammed it into our faces. They've done this so many times that at this point they feel like they can do whatever they want to do. Whatever restriction, however arbitrary and silly it may be, it's about COVID, so we are supposed to listen. We're not allowed to question. We're not allowed to take a different approach. Or else. You saw people over the weekend operating their businesses in violation of COVID shutdown mandates, whether they're talking about a bar or a restaurant or a gym. People are saying not going to do this anymore. And some were arrested. Now you're seeing the problem with, Okay, we'll just go along the state. I mean, they're just trying to keep us safe. They're not really going to hurt us if we don't do what they say. No. When the state makes a declaration. When and I mean that by big S and little s state, when your state government or when the overall state, the authority, the government tells you you have to do something. If it's wrong, if it's a violation of your freedoms, It's not enough to say, well, I don't think that they'll come for me. I don't think they'll enforce this one against me. It's wrong in principle. It's wrong in practice. And it's time for people to say no more. No more lockdown tyranny. The numbers are not on their sides. Look at all this stuff you're seeing with masks. Oh, they're telling you that you have to wear more masks now than ever before. Meanwhile, places that have had mandates for months, months, No better off. And they can't even try to make a case. No better off than places that haven't had mandates. If these things work the way that we're led to believe, notice they never give you numbers or percentages. They just say, oh, no, they work. If they worked in a way that was clear. And keep in mind that Dr. Fauci at the beginning of the year and all of modern pandemic science had said, no, you're not. You don't have to wear these things. They changed their mind on that. And now it's, oh, you're an imbecile if you question it. Meanwhile, look at the places that have mask mandates and have almost 100 percent compliance. I mean, I'm in New York City. Cases are rising. Cases are rising. No one goes indoors without a mask on. You don't see it anywhere. And people outdoors are wearing them, too. And there's no signs to back up outdoor mask mandates. Are we so much better off? We have have cases spiking in all of these Democrat mask mandate areas. So what are we to believe? It would be twice as high, 50% higher. Well, what's, what's really the net benefit of this, the effect of this? And notice how it's wear a mask and we're also going to lock you down. They keep doing all of these things that if any one of them actually worked, they wouldn't need to do all of the other things, but they claim there's some general benefit. We can't prove it. We don't know how good it is, but 
we're, we're going to insist that you do what we say. Social distance, mask up between bites. Stay away from your relatives. Assume, I saw Dr. Burke say this, assume that you've been infected. If you saw anybody over Thanksgiving, get tested this week. Well, I could get tested this week, but I could also get infected today. And then would that even show up in a test that I took this morning? I mean, it's, it's also, it's all so flimsy. It's fear and control and panic and the exploitation thereof by people in charge. That's what's happening here. Enough is enough. They have been lying to you. The people in charge are wrong and they don't have the authority to do what they've been doing. Now we've taken it all the way up to the Supreme Court and they're not allowed to just say 10 people in church, but anybody who wants to go vape, go to the vape store, have fun. You know, not allowed to kneel before God, but go buy yourself a weed whacker at Home Depot. That's that's absolutely essential. That's the government that we've had during this pandemic in this year. And I'm pleased to see that at least the Archdiocese of Brooklyn said this is unacceptable. And they took action. More people need to take action. We need to bury. We need to drown these authoritarians in lawsuits or else we will never get our freedoms back. Because it's not just about COVID now. It's about them being able to make you do things for which they cannot even prove a benefit because they say it's good for you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Jersey's had a statewide mask mandate since July, yet your numbers, as we talked about, have gone up exponentially in recent weeks. So what's happening? Is it not working? Are people not doing it? Are you not enforcing it? Yeah, we, we've had one on the inside since even well before that. We were one of the first states in America to have the indoor mask requirement, and that is overwhelmingly adhered to. Uh, outdoors, folks largely are doing the right thing. Uh, I, I don't think that's where the transmission is coming from. Uh, although we've reduced outdoor gathering limits effective tomorrow, um, I, I think most of this, Brett, is on the inside. And I do think it's folks letting their hair down. And, and they're fatigued. Who the heck could blame them? Uh, New Jerseyans did the unthinkable in the spring. We crushed a curve that was overwhelming. Um, I have every confidence we could do it again, but I would just beg folks, particularly in the holiday season, particularly before we get to a vaccine, don't let your hair down. Keep your guard up. And remember, in particular, intergenerational spread from an asymptomatic, healthy young person to grandma, grandpa. Uh, that is our biggest fear. That's the governor of New Jersey. And I'm sure you'd have the same Double speak and nonsense if you ask Gavin Newsom in California, if you ask Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, if you ask any, any number of state governors across the country, uh, Polis in Colorado, he just got COVID. I think his wife got it, too, which is so strange because he's a big mask advocate. I'm sure he was masking up all the time. Remember when Trump got it? It was his fault. He's a bad person. He doesn't mask up enough. But when Democrat governors get it, who are imposing mask mandates on everyone else and who are big believers in the glories of wearing a mask, right? The, the wonderful symbolism of wearing a mask. Uh, it's not their fault. It's just a thing that happened. Oh, okay. Well, notice the governor of New Jersey here dances around the point, dances around the answers to the question because we ask him, hold on, hold on a second. Why is it? Why is it that you've had a mask mandate since the middle of the summer? 
And we were all told when the cases were low during the mask mandate, see, look what a great job you're doing, New York and New Jersey. See, you guys, a little pat on the head for all of us, all the people, the citizens, the folks who live here, the residents were told, good job. You did what we said. So you're not dying or you're not killing grandma. And we keep doing what they say and doing what they say and obeying these mandates and now, boom, huge spike going to the end of November in cases. And you have, I mean, here, I'm looking at the numbers as I talk to you. April 16th, you had one of the absolute high points of cases in New Jersey. You had about 4,000, about 4,000 cases. It was like 4,287. Now here we are. Mass mandates since the summer. And we're at 42.75 as of uh, late November, or 44.73 as of November 26th. So the peak of the pandemic in the spring, we're at that same number of cases in New Jersey now. And we've had a mask mandate and we've had we have social distancing. We have all these things. They never allow for the possibility that these policies, these mandates don't work. What do they do? It's exactly what I told you they would do. It's your fault. It's not enough. You're not doing enough, you see. You're the problem. Oh, okay. Isn't, isn't that convenient for people that have been trampling on constitutional rights? Isn't it, isn't it convenient for all of us to see that what's really happening here is they can't explain why what they've insisted we do does not work So what they're telling us is we're not doing it the way we're supposed to. But somehow we were when the cases were really low. All you have to do is think and you see how flimsy this is. Just think for yourself. Look at the data, the obvious data. Look at cases, look at timelines, look at mandates. Their policies do not make a difference. Doesn't matter. Doesn't work. People are still living their lives enough. There's still enough human contact. There's still enough ability to spread the virus. Even with distancing and mandates and masks, it still spreads. But they still want to take away your freedoms, even though it doesn't work. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We won the election easily. There's no way Joe Biden got 80 million votes. I just said there's no way Joe Biden beat Barack Obama in the black communities of various cities. And then he did very badly compared to Obama in other cities throughout the United States. There's no way it happened. This This election was a fraud. It was a rigged election. President not backing off a bit. He's in this fight until the end. And people are looking at this now and, and seeing... As we analyze the data, as we have a little bit more time to digest this meal of an election that has been offered up to all of us. Something smells funky. A lot of stuff. A little too chewy. Something's wrong here. There's a problem. Joe Biden got 80 million votes. I I can't tell you how much this is uh, a a shock to those of us who believe that our fellow Americans have the have the basic ability of discernment to recognize that Joe Biden is a loser. And yet Joe Biden got more votes than any president in history. More votes than anyone ever. That's right for Joe Biden. 
Uh, this guy is a deeply unimpressive Democrat machine politician, never done anything worthwhile for anyone in his life in public office. But here he is. Actually, maybe the crime bill that he passed that he now runs away from because Democrats have gone back to uh, coddling criminals and acting like uh, locking people up when they do very bad things makes us an evil country. But Joe Biden getting 80 million votes. OK, l- let's let's spend a little time on this. There was a piece uh, over the weekend in The Federalist by J.B. Shirk. And I, I haven't heard of Mr. J.B. Shirk before. J- uh, President Trump retweeted this. And this was this was really brilliant. I mean, it, it just lays it out for you. These these are facts. Instead of spending our time today just talking about the same allegations without giving more data to back it up. Uh, we'll do some of that. Right. We need to keep keep track of what's being said about this election. But here are some things that we know for a fact are true at this point. And this all comes from the Federalist.com, this J.B. Shirk piece, which the president shared. It's gone mega viral over the weekend. And we started with one of them. 80, number one, 80 million votes. Here's what he writes. Holy moly. A lot of Americans turned out for a Washington politician who's been in office for nearly 50 years. Consider this. No incumbent president in nearly a century and a half has gained votes in a reelection campaign and still lost. President Trump gained more than 10 million votes since his 2016 victory. But Biden's appeal was so substantial that it overcame President Trump's record support among minority voters. Biden also shattered Barack Obama's popular vote totals, really calling into question whether it was not perhaps Biden who pulled Obama across the finish line in 2008 and 2012. Uh, uh, proving how sharp his political instincts are. The former VP managed to gather a record number of votes while consistently trailing President Trump in measures of voter enthusiasm. Biden was so savvy that he motivated voters unenthusiastic about his campaign to vote for him in record numbers. These are facts. Everything that I've just told you here, everything I'm, I'm quoting here from Mr. Shirk in The Federalist, These are just facts. Joe Biden. Think about that for a second. Joe Biden got over 80 million votes. Really? Really? He did badly in a lot of places where he was supposed to do well. But in a few places, he was able to blow all previous Democrats completely out of the water. And obviously all Republicans. That is interesting. And remember who we're talking about here. Barack Obama. And I've I was obviously in opposition to the Obama administration on a policy level, strenuously in opposition to him. But I understood what the appeal was. I I know what Democrats were seeing and thinking when they thought they had this almost messianic figure in Barack Obama running for president of the United States. Does any person with a, a basic grip on reality, does anyone think that Joe Biden is a messianic figure. I mean, I don't think any Democrats believe that. Never mind Republicans. No. Okay. And yet 80 million votes for Biden, huh? Very interesting. Voter enthusiasm for Biden, very low. Democrats were able to get those machines turned on, so to speak. Well, maybe not just so to speak and get those votes counted. Okay. Number two in this piece. Winning despite losing most bellwether counties. 
Biden is set to become the first president in 60 years to lose the states of Ohio and Florida on his way to election. For a century, these states have consistently predicted the national outcome, and they've been considered roughly representative of the American melting pot as a whole. Despite national polling giving Biden a lead in both the states, he lost Ohio by eight points and Florida by more than by more than three. For Biden to lose these key bellwethers by notable margins and still win the national election is newsworthy. Not since the mafia allegedly aided John Kennedy in winning Illinois over Richard Nixon in 1960 has an American president pulled off this neat trick. Even more unbelievably, Biden is on his way to winning the White House after having lost almost every historic bellwether county across the country. Wall Street Journal and the Epoch Times independently analyzed the results of 19 counties around the United States that have nearly perfect presidential voting records. Over the last 40 years, President Trump won every single bellwether county except Clallam County in Washington. Whereas the former VP picked up Clallam by about three points, Trump's margin of victory in the other 18 counties averaged over 16 points. In a larger list of 58 bellwether counties that have correctly picked a president since 2000, Trump won 51 of them by an average of 15 points, while the other seven went to Biden by around four points. <clears throat> so the bellwether counties, Ohio, Florida, go to so end quote there and the bellwether counties and Ohio and Florida go to Trump and somehow Biden still wins. So what has been and this is by now we're looking at results. here. This is not poll based. This is results based. When you look at counties that have in the aggregate told you if you won those counties, you became the president for the last 40 years. Joe Biden was able to break that trend. Really? Joe Biden was able to break that trend. That that's amazing. Joe Biden must be the greatest politician in the history of the republic. I mean, how could he pull this off? How was he able to do this? He's so amazing. I guess we just don't see it. Hmm. Or there's something else going on here. Or maybe, just maybe, there was foul play in this election. There was fraud, friends. The issue isn't whether there was fraud. The issue is how much fraud was the fraud enough and was enough of it provable that that's all that it took uh, to change the election. Is that that's what we're left with at this point, not, oh, but it was a perfect election. Everything was clean. Everything was great. Nobody really believes nobody who knows anything believes that. Number three in this excellent piece on the Federalist.com. Biden trailed Clinton, except in a few select cities. Um. Patrick Basham, a pollster with an accurate track record, highlighted two observations made by fellow colleagues that Biden underperformed Hillary Clinton in every major metro area around the country, except for Milwaukee, Detroit, Atlanta and Philadelphia. Huh. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating? I, I think that that's something that you'd have to. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? Now, there is an addendum here. Um, an addendum here that a National Review 
you have Dan McLaughlin saying that, no, it wasn't only four major swing city, swing state cities where that changed here, um, that there it was it was more than that. But when you look at the a, a lot of these cities, Biden still performed incredibly well, incredibly well. And we're talking about Joe Biden here. Number four. Biden won despite Democrat losses everywhere else. This is one of the one of the biggest challenges for me to 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 get past and believe. Oh, yeah, this was fine. This makes sense. Here we go. Quote, Randy DeSoto noted in the Western Journal that Donald Trump was pretty much the only incumbent president in U.S. history to lose his reelection while his own party gained seats in the House of Representatives. That's a Biden miracle. In 2020, the Cook Political Report and the New York Times rated 27 House seats as toss-ups going into Election Day. Right now, Republicans appear to have won all 27. Democrats failed to flip a single state House chamber, while Republicans flipped both the House and the Senate in New Hampshire and expanded their dominance of state legislatures across the country. Uh, Okay, so does somebody want to come up with what is the rationale here? How could that happen? You're in a presidential election year, but you have all these down ballot races. And this has been overshadowed by the Trump Biden ongoing battle. But Republicans did really well. They had a difficult Senate map to defend. And we know George is not yet done, but it looks likely they will. I shouldn't I don't want to jinx it, but it looks likely they will maintain Senate control. They picked up House seats. They did very well in state legislatures, but. Trump lost and not and didn't lose by a little bit. I mean, when you add up both the Electoral College tally as well as the popular vote of the popular vote doesn't really matter, as we know. But if you look at just the vote counts in the aggregate, if you believe what happened in this election, Trump lost by a lot. Right. I mean, this is not a close. This is not really a, a close election. If you think that what happened in all these states is what happened. If if you look at this, if he doesn't flip back Arizona or Georgia or Michigan or or Pennsylvania. Not a particularly close election, really. I mean, close enough by he did win Florida and Ohio, but that's a substantial victory. Do you believe that Joe Biden could really pull that off? Again, this is not proof, but this is context for everything else that we're talking about. And these these are real numbers. This is not conjecture or supposition. And then the final one here in this piece, Biden overcame Trump's commanding primary vote. Here you go. Quote, in the past, primary vote totals have been remarkably uh, accurate in predicting general election winners. Political analyst David Chapman highlighted three historical facts. First, no incumbent who has received 75 percent of the total primary vote has lost reelection. Second, President Trump received 94 percent of the primary vote, the fourth highest of all time, higher than Dwight Eisenhower, Nixon, Clinton or Obama. Trump is only one of five incumbents since 1912 to receive more than 90 percent of the primary vote. Uh, And Trump set a record for most primary votes by an incumbent when more than 18 million people turned out for him in 2020 for Biden to prevail in the general election, despite Trump's historic support in the primaries turns a century's worth of prior election data on its head. Joe Biden achieved the impossible 
It's interesting that many more journalists aren't pointing that out. Joe Biden achieved the impossible. That's really the line here. And people who say, oh, but look at Trump in 2016. No, Trump was was it was claimed by the media that he had no chance. It was claimed by the establishment that he could never win. And then he did. And then they lied about it with Russia collusion, all the rest. This is different. What we're seeing here is now Biden's win. If that's what it ends up being, Biden's win is premised on breaking and you know eradicating all of the previous metrics and political narratives that have been built up for presidential le- elections for decades. The trends that would predict the winner didn't matter. That's asking a lot. It's not impossible, but it's asking a lot, especially given what we are seeing in terms of the way these states have some very suspicious activities going on with these ballot counts. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Uh, The media doesn't even want to cover it. I mean, you're doing something. You're actually very brave because you're doing something. The media doesn't want to talk about it. They know how fraudulent this is. It's no different than Hunter. It's no different than Hunter. They don't want to talk about Hunter. So they totally closed it off. Big tech and the media, other than the New York Post, as you remember, which took a lot of heat. It was terminated. It was terminated from, I guess, Twitter. Maybe Facebook, uh, but uh, it's a it's a situation the likes of which we don't have freedom of the press in this country. We have suppression by the press. They suppress. You know, you can't have a scandal if nobody reports about it. This is the greatest fraud in the history of our country from an electoral standpoint. And I guess you could build it up bigger than an electrical. St- what's what's bigger from an a, a electoral standpoint? What's bigger than this? This is the essence of our country this is the whole ball game and they cheated trump is saying they cheated he's not backing down one bit and he's got his legal team out there bringing these different challenges and here's what is definitely true i mean meaning that we know it's true already democrats bent rules broke rules really but changed rules to suit their own electoral advantage and used COVID. i mean this this election was only possible to happen in this way because of the narrative around COVID-19. It's safe for people to vote and, and do that even in this era of COVID. But Democrats had convinced everybody, you know, they, they used COVID in so many ways to defeat this president. Without COVID-19, Donald Trump wins re-election, no question. And they all knew that. And Pelosi knew that. The Democrats, Schumer, they all knew this. Which is why they were spreading those insane conspiracy theories over the summer that Trump was defunding the post office. There was no need for there to be mail-in balloting because of COVID, but they said that that's what had to happen. And so in different, in some key states like Pennsylvania, they changed the rules to suit Democrat needs. Were they allowed to do that? Was that fair? Was that legal? Was it constitutional? Those are the questions that if we had an honest press, they'd be asking, but they're not. They're already just writing stories about the Biden transition team and and cabinet measuring the drapes on their new offices in the White House. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Which cases specifically will reach the Supreme Court and when? Well, the problem is it's hard to get into the Supreme Court. I've got the best Supreme Court uh, advocates, uh, lawyers, uh, that want to argue the case if it gets there. But they said it's very hard to get a case up there. Can you imagine Donald Trump, president of the United States, files a case, and I probably can't get a case, even with, and we have tremendous proof, we have hundreds and hundreds of affidavits, sworn affidavits, and it's very hard to get a case to the Supreme Court. That's what everybody's fighting for. I thought that Mike Kelly, congressman, I thought they had a great case, and it got thrown out the other day. Now they'll appeal it, I hope, to the Supreme Court. They have a great case because uh, the legislature didn't make the decision on this stuff, and they have a great case. But you have to appeal it. The big thing is, can you get it? That's a big part of it. The president's right insofar as it's not a sure thing the Supreme Court will take up any individual, any specific challenge. Right. But the president is also is also right that, you know, this this needs to be figured out that we have to find a way forward here where we can get answers about this. And it's going to require taking it to the Supreme Court. But there are no guarantees right now in Pennsylvania. uh, The uh, appeals court judge there has already ruled against the Trump team, the Trump legal team, in saying that they're not going to throw out all these ballots because there were rule changes made to the election before the election. That, that's that's a very short version of a much more complicated legal argument. And so now they're trying to appeal it to the Supreme Court. That's where it is. Now, for this, we should all ask, we should all understand, well, hold, hold on a minute. Uh, can we even trust? Look at what just happened as I've been talking to you. Uh, look at what happened with the lockdown issue and religious freedom. You can't trust John Roberts, okay? Can't trust him. Guy will always find a way. Somehow, whatever the lib, legal, and media establishment thinks is the moderate path, which is not the same thing as actually being a moderate, that's what he will do. So you can't trust him. All right? That's four. Where does that fifth vote come in? Could be Kavanaugh. Could be Gorsuch. Who knows? Gorsuch, on the case about religious freedom, was pretty good. He actually said... It's time, past time, to make plain that while the pandemic poses many grave challenges, there is no world in which the Constitution tolerates color-coded executive edicts that reopen liquor stores and bike shops, but shutter churches, synagogues, and mosques. Yeah. That that even had to go to the Supreme Court, that we needed the Supreme Court to weigh in on that, tells you just how much jeopardy religious freedom is really in in this country. And how many violations of religious freedom have been ongoing now? Right. But I'll take I'll take a win. I wish we wasn't a win that we needed, but I'll take it. But even if we get to the Supreme Court, understand, my friends, there are no guarantees. What do you think the mentality will be of the Supreme Court about possibly changing the results of one of these swing states? Remember, even if they just get Biden below 270, then it switches into the House of Representatives. There's this constitutional process. And all of a sudden, we have a very different, a very different election that Trump could, in fact, win. We have 26, uh, 26 of the states would, would be Republican 
based on uh, based on their congressional delegation. So, yeah. Do you think the Supreme Court is going to be willing to do that? You think the Supreme Court will have the backbone to say, yeah, we're going to throw out 600,000 votes in Pennsylvania. They were illegally cast. You weren't allowed to do this the way they did it. They weren't allowed to change the election so that they could count them afterwards or you know whatever, whatever the specifics of it may be. What do you think the streets would be like in this country then? I'm not advocating against the Supreme Court making that call. I hope they do. I'm just trying to take you into the mindset of the different judges here and why the Democrats still remain very confident that really no matter what, they'll end up getting their way. The mayhem on the streets would be like nothing we've ever seen if what if in their minds the Supreme Court took another election. They think that they stole the 2000 election for Bush, even though no Bush won that election. Every analysis of it, every vote count, Bush won Florida. That was reality. OK. But they they still have a narrative. And as you know, that's what really matters among the libs, among the Democrats. They have a narrative that the only reason that Bush won in 2000 was because of the Supreme Court. What do you think they would do now when they're going around saying that Trump is a fascist if the Supreme Court allowed him to get four more years. Just let's all be very clear about what the ramifications for the country would be. I still think that what matters is who won and that, there, and that you can't allow cheating and that this is the center of our whole system, right? I, I believe that, but I'm just saying these are pressures that are put on the system that may prevent an honest and fair response, even from the Supreme Court, on exactly on exactly what happened here. Here's, um, I mean, there's plenty of examples of this. Here's a guy on MSNBC. This is what they're still saying about the president for bringing legal challenges. They compare him to and, and his base. They compare Trump supporters to Nazis. They really say this. Play two. And I think because we've seen how close we came this time, that if there is this drive among what is now the Republican Party, I guess the Trump Party, to make sure this can't happen again, to make sure that our people are in position to do what wasn't done this time, we've got a problem. Uh, Because I can see in 2022 a number of these Republicans being removed from their jobs and replaced by people who are willing to do whatever it takes to keep their candidate in power or to put him in power. And once you have the state legislators asserting that power, I then worry about the courts because there are people, even on the Supreme Court, who believe the state legislature's power is almost uh, total. And so I think uh, I'm using a very blunt metaphor here, Joe. If you remember or if you know how the German Luftwaffe used the Spanish Civil War as a testing ground for their theories, I think we may be seeing some of the more extreme supporters of someone like Donald Trump saying, we've learned from 2020, we know what to do next time. Yeah, the Nazi Air Force. That's right. We, we, we got to bring Nazis in. You can't talk about Trump and his supporters without finding a way to make your, make your uh, World War II analogy. And of course, Trump is the Third Reich. These people are insane. They really are, but they, they don't stop. Uh, No, we're trying to use the legal process. We are trying to use the avenues open to us to find out what really happened here, because we've already established it's a heck of a thing that Joe Biden won this election. It's 
for anybody who understands how these elections tend to work and how it all plays out, it's a pretty big shock. A pretty big shock. But here we are. Here we are. Being told that, oh no, nothing to see here. It's fine. Joe Biden was just so inspiring. You know, this this doddering old fool. Oh, I wear a mask and I'm sitting here and, you know, I'm just sort of saying the things I've been saying for a long time and here I am, you know, no joke, no joke. Uh, that that guy got over 80 million votes and blew away all of these different expectations, all of these different metrics that have been used to correctly, after the fact, predict who the president would be, right? So once you see these numbers, you know, oh, whoever won that, won the election, didn't count anymore. Uh, there's something going on here, friends. We all know it. And there are enormously powerful and influential forces doing everything that they can to make sure that we don't get the answers to all of this. Think about what it would mean. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. If we can prove, and I mean really prove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there was a Democrat plot to steal this election from Donald Trump, which, given the rhetoric they used and the, the, their belief that he stole the 2016 election with Russian help and Russia collusion, that he's a fascist, that he's a threat to our democracy. They say that all the time. I mean, that's common. That's the standard way Democrats describe this president. Given that that's their view of him, why would it be so unbelievable that they would take extreme, even even illegal actions that go to the very core of our republic? That kick right at the load-bearing walls of our system. Why would it be unbelievable they would do that? No, I would say if I believed that a sitting president was, was really a, a fascist who was trying to destroy the whole system and was going to purge his enemies and, you know, real fascism stuff. Yeah, I think a little vote cheating would probably be the necessary remedy, if, if not a lot more. But Democrats assure you that would never happen. That would never happen. Be quiet, peasant. Do as you're told. Wear your mask. Don't ask questions about this election. That's what they tell us. And I say no. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The election, I was called by the biggest people uh, saying congratulations, political people. Congratulations, sir. You just won the election. It was 10 o'clock and you looked at the numbers and I'm sure you felt that way. This election was over and then they did dumps. They call them dumps, big, massive dumps uh, in Michigan and Pennsylvania and uh, uh, all over. If you if you take a look at uh, you just take a look at just about every state that we're talking about, every swing state that we're talking about. And they did these massive dumps of votes. And all of a sudden, I went from winning by a lot to losing by a little. And in some cases, it took a period of time to do it. That is what happened. He's giving an accurate recitation of what it was like on election night. I remember, and uh, some of you who are watching our live coverage at the first will know what I'm talking about here. I, I, it looked like once Trump had won Ohio and Florida, it felt like how, how could he lose at that point? But sure enough... We woke up the next morning and it's Biden's ahead. What? And this was always a risk that we ran with these mail-in ballots. But as we know, it might have been even more than just the delay in 
arrival of ballots. It could be the fraud in the creation of and illicit counting of ballots that that are illegal. Uh, But this is another problem we've got and something that I I want us all to be very clear on. Uh, If they can do mail in balloting going forward and we don't make sure that this is, uh, you know, very, very thoroughly investigated. We're going to have a problem winning national level elections. We're going to have a big problem um, because uh, this is something that Democrats have wanted for a long time. Notice they never accuse our side of fraud. They know that that's just not something the Republicans don't commit fraud. We we collude with Russia, right? Whatever lunacy that they come up with. We have the Supreme Court in our pocket, but we don't manufacture votes. That's a Democrat pastime. That's something the Democrats do. And they particularly do it in large urban centers, right? I mean, if you control some rural county with 50,000 residents, that doesn't, that doesn't give you the same kind of ability to, to mess with the numbers to turn an election than if you run the political machine in a place like Philadelphia, in a place like Milwaukee, in a real dense population center where you're talking about a few million votes, that will be counted a few million votes that you can work with. You know, you can change the numbers as you need to. So it's absolutely essential. I mean, why would we not want to look into this more? Put aside for a second Trump and the fight here and everything else that, that he's pushing for. Why wouldn't we want to make sure that we get as thorough an investigation of this as we possibly can? Because this is going to happen again. They like this. You think Democrats are going to ever want to go back from mail in? You think it's over? After COVID-19, no, this is one of the many things, one of the many things that will now be changed going forward about uh, about our lives, about elections in this case, because of COVID. Things will be different now as a result of this. And they they do not plan on letting this uh, letting this go in any other direction other than the one that they want it to. And you have uh, Trump who, who said who's saying stuff here. And we need hard facts on this. And we need conclusive evidence presented about things like dead people voted. All right, we know that some dead people voted. How many? And how did they vote? Meaning, not that they were resurrected or there are zombie voters out there, but what, what was the process that people used to cheat? It's one thing to say there was cheating and to look at the numbers and understand it, but we need to be able to, in a court, but also in the court of public opinion, have people understand what the mechanisms were for that cheating. Here's here's an example of it. You have um, the president talking about dead people voting. Play five. This is a terrible thing that's happened. The mail-in ballots were, are a disaster. They sent millions and millions and millions of mail-in ballots. I'm sure you know people that got two, three, or four, because I do, where they said, you know, we got... Four ballots. They got one at a country home. Dead people were seeing ballots. But even worse, dead people were applying to get a ballot. They were making application to get ballots. Many. And, you know, we're not talking about 10 people. We're talking there are a lot of dead people that so-called voted in this election. But dead people were, in some cases, in many, many cases, thousands of cases, voted. But also dead people made application to vote. They were dead 10 years, 15 years, and they actually made application. 
this is total fraud. And how the FBI and Department of Justice, I don't know, maybe they're involved, but how people are allowed to get away from this stuff, with this stuff is unbelievable. This election was rigged. This election was a total fraud. Where is the FBI and the DOJ in all of this? Why aren't we hearing from any members of the Department of Justice about their their early indicators here? Are they looking into this? We, we don't get to hear much about it. No, we, instead that we just sit back and what? We assume that they're to be trusted? You think that there aren't a lot of so-called career employees at the Department of Justice who would not love to see the establishment return, the swamp fill up again all across D.C. with really what's just going to be a, a retread, a return of Obama administration officials as part of a Biden administration. That's where this is going to be. You don't think that there are still individuals who would at least drag their feet? There aren't careerists? Yeah, I know you could say, what about Attorney, Attorney General Barr? Uh, he's not going to be Attorney General Barr much longer, right? We all understand that. So there are limitations. Even if he decided that he was doing everything that he could, you need more than that. You need people within the bureaucracy who are going to do good investigative work and find out what's going on here. And it's just Trump and his legal team and a handful of people in the media who are pushing for this. Other than that, we're just on our own here. They're creating this reality the same way they created this distorted nightmare that didn't really exist, as we know, of Russia collusion, the same way that they put the country through that for four years. They're pretending that everything here is entirely normal. They're pretending there's no reason for concern over what we've seen with these votes. And I just don't buy it. I'm not going to buy it. I've got questions that need answers and we need to keep pushing because a lot of people, including perhaps in the federal bureaucracy, yes, even under the Trump executive branch, don't want to do what's necessary at this point to find out what really happened here. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Allison, we had to reset the equation to create something that would be sustainable for the long haul. We had said back in September... We would open our schools, biggest school system in the country. Most cities weren't opening schools at all. We did. But we also said we'd have really strict standards. And I said if we hit to 3% positivity, that would be the point where we'd have to do something different. Now we have a different approach. We're adding a lot more testing, weekly testing in every school. Uh, Kids will have to have a testing consent form to come to school. This is going to allow us to get back up with our school system next Monday. So they're opening up schools in NYC, at least uh, at the lower school level at the uh, I think going up to eighth grade or so. But let's let's bring in somebody who really knows exactly what's happening. We talk about the fight to get our schools reopened, not just in NYC, but it's also a nationwide problem. Joe Borelli is with us now. He is a member of the New York City Council. He's also just a conservative man about town. You'll see on various channels and radio shows giving his commentary. Joe, great to have you back. Thank you for having me, as always. Appreciate it. Tell us what's going on here with schools. Let's let's just start with the de Blasio announcement. So they're, they're kind of opening schools, finally. I, I guess, did they realize that the evidence showed that young children in particular were at no risk, and so this was crazy? What's going on? It's funny to think, you know, de Blasio and Fauci have, have now come around to, to the Borelli position, 
which, which is the consensus uh, within the science community, the medical community, and in journals and, and other studies, that schools are relatively safe. They're no more dangerous than the communities which they're housed in. So if there's a spike in the community, there might be a spike in schools. Um, but um, I am glad to hear the mayor has decided to reopen schools. It is a good thing. It, it, it's the right direction. There's no doubt about that. I think our lawsuit and our impending uh, hearing on December 3rd probably played a role. Uh, when the science is on our side and the law is on our side, uh, it would have been tough for them to defend their, their policy. But it's good. It's going to be K through five and then K through eight. And then uh, hopefully the high school kids will, will get back in, which is a, a reasonable thing to do. It, it's what actually a lot of other school districts with uh, with more aggressive you know, superintendents have done. So I'm not I'm not opposed to the method in which they're doing it. And they're going to get the special need kids uh, uh, back in five days a week as soon as possible, which is also really a good step. So, you know, this is one of the, the, the days that maybe I won't dunk on Mayor de Blasio and, and just be thankful that he's finally come around to this position. There there never should have been this school shutdown, though. And I think you, you noted that Dr. Fauci, for example, was was unwilling to look at the obvious data as uh, that was clear even in, in the summertime and say there's no reason for these schools to be shut down. And, you know, this is playing out in other places across the country as well. And I, I just want to ask, where are the teachers unions on all of this? How, how is how has de Blasio been, been able to uh, maneuver with them so that they're not all threatening to strike or anything else? I think the rubber just met the road and they were all exposed for, for sort of, uh, uh, you know, just the, this unscientific approach. I mean, the, the, the carpet was swept away from under them. Um, you know, the thing is, we, we can blame teachers unions and, that, and that's fine. But almost every teachers union in the country, almost every municipal union in the country was sort of fighting for uh you know the their members to get the least amount of exposure it really was though only bill de blasio who just completely caved and collapsed into their every demand and said you know what you're right we don't really have to go back to school so um you know it, it, it's 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 beyond just the teachers union although they are certainly to blame we oftentimes expect that that our leaders will have a little bit of a backbone and um Finally, de Blasio found his, and he, from what I'm hearing, he just sort of put his foot down and said, we're actually going to open up on, on this day. Speaking of Joe Borelli, he is a city councilman here in New York. Joe, some very troubling statistics coming out over, over the uh, Thanksgiving weekend. We had Black Friday happening, and, you know, while we do have this whole family and holiday component, there's the commercial aspect, right? There's how our businesses that many cases uh, rely in many cases rely on a huge chunk of their sales coming from this period till the end of the year. The statistics that I saw said that in New York and New Jersey, as many or as high as a third of small businesses have closed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's that's sort of the statistic that seems to be matching what you could kind of see on the street. When we came out of our initial lockdown, I mean, a lot of people you, you could tell you know, very easily that some businesses didn't pull up the iron gates. Um, and th the statistic, I think, proves that whether you're in New York State, whether you're in New Jersey uh, and any other state that faced a significantly long lockdown, I think that's that's probably the accurate number. And juxtapose that to states. I mean, every state had some form of restriction, some form of lockdown, some form of regulation. But juxtapose what New York and New Jersey and, and Michigan and California did as compared to what other states did, I mean, namely Florida, 
where they delayed shutting down until it was necessary and then acted with urgency and and, and and deliberate purpose in reopening, right? Almost as though the same purpose they found in locking down was what they put into reopening. Those states are not seeing the same type of business shutdowns as us. And when you play this out in the long term, it doesn't bode well for New York. We have an extremely expensive government. Uh, we have extremely expensive state government and city government. And that relies on small businesses and, and large business to be rocking and rolling. Bill de Blasio actually didn't raise taxes, you know, in any significant amount in New York City. The budget expansion that happened under under him was allowed to happen because of the the, the commercial boom that New York City was facing in terms of businesses wanting to come here, tourists wanting to come here, uh, and mom and pops thriving all over New York City. So, I mean, that's that's just the reality. Now that that has been taken away, we're going to see a, a lot of financial problems for the city and state. What Although do you Biden think? may bail us out, right? I mean, it's both at the adoption. Well, yeah. Uh, we're speaking to Joe Borelli, New York City Councilman. Joe, what do you think should happen here going forward? I mean, I know there's at some level there's the the, the vaccine and the timeline for that, that that is going to affect one way or the other how rapidly we reopen and the extent of it. But do you think that New York City, I mean, given Cuomo and, and de Blasio's mindset, is still likely to go into a kind of covid hibernation mode or uh, over the wintertime? Or do you think that once this vaccine, which is supposed to be distributed in, in a matter of weeks, starts getting distributed, they may be a little bit less draconian? Yeah, I, I would hope so. But but the governor has begin begun to act more erratically as the weeks you know gone by, and he's someone that that even threw shade on the idea of people getting the vaccine as long as Trump was the president. That that's insane. That that's actually really really troubling. And, and there is a role for government here. I mean, you know, the hospital beds are approaching capacity. I mean, that's not a, a rumor. That's happening where I am on Staten Island. And there is a role for government in opening up some new facilities. Uh, and making sure beds are available for people at the hospitals that aren't going for COVID uh, and doing their regular type of procedures. That's where government should be. Throwing shade on a vaccine uh, and acting erratically, you know, banning people from gathering on Thanksgiving, it, it just it just really undermines this this weird idea that Americans have that Governor Cuomo is this competent hero uh, in the in the new COVID world. And it's amazing that here we are seeing that schools never should have been closed. Maybe that's an indicator. You know, the people that were saying they were following the science, let's close the schools in the fall. They were wrong to do that. Maybe they're wrong about other things, Joe. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the science, right? If a school has a whole bunch of positive cases from kids, close that particular school or that particular classroom uh, briefly. But don't do a system-wide shutdown. That's kind of the consensus uh, everywhere you look. Um, we also have a, a, a contact tracing core in New York City. We were told that we needed this tracing core. Once we had it, we'd be able to open and track all our cases and solve the, the mystery of where COVID comes from. Not only did the contact tracing people say that schools weren't the problem, but they also couldn't provide evidence that there was links to restaurants uh, or, or bars or nightclubs or salon. By the way, I mean, I, I'm not an irrational person. If the contact tracing core said, hey, we, we linked a dozen cases to a restaurant and the restaurant wasn't following basic protocols, I'd be all for, you know, shutting that place down or, or, or violating them. But they have no evidence to support so much of this. And yet the, the knee jerk reaction is only and always to lock things down. It's it's not the right move. It's not what the health departments of a lot of other states are doing. 
It's not what the health departments of a lot of countries are doing. I mean, uh, we, we saw kind of a, a disparate approaches in France and Spain recently with their uh, second wave or, or the, in their largest wave. And both countries have receded about 50 or 60 percent off their height of new cases. And yet France went down into a very hard lockdown. Spain went into a very soft lockdown. So there's not there isn't consensus and clear evidence of what we should be doing. So the knee-jerk reaction shouldn't be to bankrupt mom-and-pop businesses, especially from, and I'm sorry to ramp, but this guy just ramps me up. This is a guy who never missed a paycheck. He never had to max out his own credit cards. He never had to, to dip into his kid's college fund. He sits in a mansion that we pay for with servants and cooks and cleaners and security and barks orders of which counties and towns and neighborhoods have to shut down. It's not fair to those people, and people are getting sick of it. Joe Borelli, everybody, New York City Councilman. Joe, always keeping it real, dropping truth bombs. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So what we expect, unfortunately, as we go for the next couple of weeks into December, that we might see a surge superimposed upon that surge that we're already in. And, you know, and, and when I give that message, I, I don't want to frighten people except to say it is not too late at all for us to do something about this, because as we travel back to be right. careful when we go back to where we are to just continue to do the things that we've been talking about. An important issue, Chuck, is that we know when you mitigate with masks, with right. distance, with not having crowds or congregate settings, that those states that have done that, you can actually see that the inflection of their curve starts to do this. Right. So we know we can do something about it, particularly now as we get into the colder season and right. as we approach the Christmas holidays. We know we can do something about this. He, he's still clinging to this, huh? Mask up. Wear your mask. It'll all be better if you wear your mask. Wear your, we're all wearing masks all the time. We're doing all these things. And yet the numbers keep going up and up and up. And what do they say to us? Don't worry. Don't worry. Keep doing what we tell you. It'll all get better. It'll all get better. You know, they haven't come up with these as policies they've implemented before uh, during influenza outbreaks in this country. I'm talking about recently, not including the Spanish flu of 1918. Uh, if it was so easy and so straightforward, if it was just wear a mask, wash your hands, why haven't we been able to crush the flu in any given year? Why don't we see any provable, any demonstrable correlation between obeying the dictates of Fauci and all of a sudden a major drop in cases when there was an uptrend, right? Making us do something and then eventually the case level goes down and saying, see, we brought the curve down. That's what they've been saying. That's different than cases are going up and whoa, hold on a second. It changed direction. They never are able to prove this. There's a reason for that. There's a reason. There's a reason that you have public health authorities. And look, public health experts are increasingly, I think, a, uh, a group that their reputation will never recover from this. They have been catastrophically wrong numerous times. And you know what some of those examples are. They've been wrong about this. They have been making errors Errors of judgment, errors of errors in terms of the policy mandates. 
And there's really no humility that comes from it, too. It's do these things we say because. And anyone who questions it or presents contrary evidence is shouted down and they keep doing it. Right. They keep believing They they want to believe that they have the answer, even when we've all seen their answers don't work. Remember when Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci were having a bit of a throwdown back in the day on on seeing uh, schools close? Rand Paul's like, why are we closing any schools? This is crazy. And Fauci's like, well, you know, you know, the, the school, the children, not as bad, but, you know, maybe he never says even what Redfield, the head of the CDC, will say, which is this is the deal, guys. We got to open schools. This is crazy. Fauci never says anything that upsets the lockdown or mentality. Have you noticed that it's a, even when it couldn't be any more obvious that something should be more open, that schools, for example, should have always been opened and stayed open. Fauci is, well, you know, the data and we got to look at this and the mitigation. And now finally he's saying schools should be open. Oh, I, I guess we're supposed to be thankful about this. Play nine. The best way to ensure the safety of the children in school is to get the community level of spread low. So if you mitigate the things that you know are causing spread in a very, very profound way, in a robust way, if you bring that down, you will then indirectly and ultimately protect the children in the school because the community level is determined how things go across the board. So my feeling would be the same thing. If you look at the data, the spread among children and from children is not really very big at all, not like one would have suspected. So let's try to get the kids back, but let's try to mitigate the things that maintain and, and just push the kind of community spread that we're trying to avoid. And those are the things that you know well. The bars, the, the restaurants where you have capacity seating indoors without masks. Those are the things that drive the community spread, not the schools. Notice he said what one would have thought would be the case in schools. That was a sly way of inserting in there what Fauci thought, which he was wrong about. He was somebody who was saying, well, schools, you know, I, I think we probably we got to look at it, the data and everything else. It was obvious. It was obvious that it was safe for children. The children were at basically no risk. And there was plenty of data, including from European countries that had already looked at this, that kept the schools open all along to show that children weren't even a big risk of spreading it to adults. So children are basically safe from the virus. And even if a kid gets it, it's unlikely the kid will pass it to the adult. And let me also note, they don't really understand why that's the case. They have theories. They don't really know. But that's how this virus operates. Notice how he also says, uh, Fauci also says here, that if we mitigate where we know the spread is happening, okay, where is the spread happening? He says it's restaurants and, and bars in these places. Uh, those places have been under strict orders, lockdowns, shutdowns for months and months and months. So that's what we're supposed to believe. I was chased. I mean, it, it's crazy what you see going on. I was chased out of a restaurant at 10 o'clock over the weekend for no good reason. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Many eyes turning to Georgia now. We should be focused on this. We should be dialed in on this. Because 
as much as I would like to think, if we fight to the very end here, we'll get the just outcome and a reversal of this election in favor of Donald Trump. As much as I want to believe that, you and I both know that this is an uphill battle. But there's another battle that's happening where we still have an advantage, and we can't lose sight of that. This is a fight that we also must win, and it's for these Senate seats in Georgia. Purdue and Leffler versus Ossoff and Warnock. And I think that everyone should at least take this lesson from this last election as it's as we've seen it play out so far. Take nothing for granted. We must prepare in every way we can. And we have to assume that the other side will pull whatever nonsense, dirty tricks and yes, even possibly fraud they can. Because this really matters. Everyone that I talk to who understands American politics well. Everyone that I think really knows how this is going to play out agrees. If you have a Biden administration, I know some of you are saying, bite your tongue, Buck, but it's possible. It's probable. If you have a Biden administration and you have divided government, yes, there will be executive orders that are stupid, that are painful, that do things that don't help the country. Yes, there'll be critical race theory taught again. I mean, the The psychological pollution of identity politics is going to be spread all throughout the federal government, even more than it already is. That's all going to happen. But you won't be able to have massive structural changes. You're not going to be able to have a Biden administration if it's divided government. If Republicans hold the Senate, there will be limitations put on what Biden can at least legitimately do. I mean, illegitimately he may push to do things using the supreme court he may put i'm sorry he may push things that have to be blocked in the supreme court including backing the supreme court uh you know he he may try to do things through executive order that he can't do uh, but in terms of actually using the process in a way where there's not really all that much we can do to stop him within the process if republicans maintain the senate we're in pretty good shape if we Lose control of the Senate, even if it's 50-50, but you have Kamala Harris as the, as the tiebreaker and the vice president is the tiebreaker in the Senate, as we know, the president of the Senate. Then we've got big problems because you're going to see them say the most important thing to do is not to achieve short-term policy victories. The most important thing that they can do is to change the game itself. Switch voting demographics with an amnesty. Add Democrat, built-in Democrat senators to the Senate by, by including D.C. and Puerto Rico as states. Right? Uh, get rid of the filibuster to allow those other things, among other policy, uh, policy moves, major decisions on the left to go through without any Republican opposition. I mean, first they'd have to do the, the removal of the filibuster, which that's easy. I mean, they're going to do that. I don't think anybody doubts that they would uh, remove the filibuster. I mean, you could you could hope that maybe the senator from West Virginia may decide that he's not going to play ball with that. But I don't know. There'll be a lot of pressure on him in a lot of ways that that can go wrong as well. So. 
I, I just I really do believe as we continue to look at this, it is essential, essential that we win these Senate seats and that Kelly Leffner, Leffler, uh, you know, comes out as as one of the two victors there. Purdue, obviously, just as important. It'd be great if we got them both. And the left understands what's at stake here. I mean, John Ossoff, who's going to get so much help. I mean, celebrity dollars and endorsements and, you know, big media is going to be in his pocket. I mean, the stuff that you're going to see to try to help this guy out will be it's, it's amazing the advantage that Democrats have with these things, even in a statewide race like this in Georgia, which should be a red state. I mean, I, I can't believe if you had told me a year ago that Trump might lose Georgia. Didn't seem possible, but here we are. Oh, and you know that now they think Texas must be possible, too. I know it wasn't close this time around, but they're thinking that it will be the next time. Especially if they can count extra ballots, especially if they can cheat in Dallas and in Houston. I mean, who knows? But John Ossoff is out there telling everybody that his seat, right, or, or what he would want to be his seat, is essential for the Democrat and, yes, for the the socialist project here in this country. And that if the GOP holds the Senate, if we can hold the line in the Senate, we'll be able to weather the next couple of years pretty well. Um, and I, I think we'll be in a very strong position to take back control of the House. So that's what I see. That's what I see happening here. John Ossoff was one of these Senate candidates in Georgia talking about obstructionism. God, that's going to be a beautiful word if there's an if there's a uh, Biden administration. Obstructionism. I'm going to get a tattoo to my arm. Obstruct. You know how we had hashtag resist against Trump? It's going to be hashtag obstruct. Play uh, 12. Well, what we need is the capacity for this incoming administration to govern in the midst of a crisis. I mean, so many families here in Georgia and across the country can't feed themselves right now. Businesses are on the brink. Folks are looking at eviction and foreclosure. And look, let me just be very candid about this, because we all know what's going to happen if McConnell holds the Senate. He will try to do to Biden and Harris just like he tried to do to President Obama. It will be paralysis, partisan trench warfare, obstructionism as far as the eye can see at a moment of crisis when we need strong action. Obstructionism as far as the eye can see. Now, what he's saying there is not true insofar as Mitch McConnell will get money out to businesses and individuals who are struggling because of COVID. Notice the Democrats demand these lockdowns. They, they want the most severe lockdowns. As we know, this has become a partisan issue. Democrats want more government imposition, more rules and regulations under the guise of protecting you from COVID. I mean, don't ever forget that the Democrat state of California had police chasing after and arresting a guy during the COVID pandemic who was paddleboarding alone on the ocean at least hundreds of yards, maybe a, you know, a half mile or so away from any other human being. And they chased him down and arrested him because of a virus that we're told can barely spread outdoors, if at all, and doesn't spread well beyond six feet, which I don't think that's really true. But that's what they tell us. But they still I know it doesn't spread when there's nobody within 100 yards of you out in the ocean, out in the fresh air and the sunshine that I know for sure. And they still arrested him. The people that support that kind of stuff, the people that support 
arresting business owners and people who are having gatherings at parties. They're overwhelmingly Democrats. And then they turn around and pretend that they're the ones who care so much about the struggling businesses. They're the ones who care so much about what's happening on Main Street. They shut Main Street down. Now they care about Main Street. I don't think so. It would be fantastic if we could have the obstruction. If we are unfortunate in that the Electoral College gives Biden the votes and Trump has already said he'll leave the White House if that happens. So if the Electoral College gives Biden the votes he needs to say that he's the winner, it will be unfortunate we have a a Biden administration, but it will not be uh, it all will not be lost. There will be opportunities to slow down the, the insanity. But one very important thing here. I've seen some of this already. People who are saying, well, the system is rigged, so I'm not going to take part in Georgia. I'm going to sit this out. That's the dumbest thing anyone who cares about this country could possibly do right now. If you are listening to this and you live in Georgia We need you to get as many of your friends as possible to get out there and vote. You need to spread the word about what the stakes are in this race. You need to tell 10 of your friends, we're all voting. Let's all go vote. Sitting this out just means you're going to cede even more power. I mean, you're going to sit this out as some protest against Biden cheating. Well, Biden cheating and having a divided Congress results in one future for America. Biden cheating and having unified government is going to result in a very different one. One that's. uh, I don't know if it's something that could be repaired. I don't know if we'd be able to stop these structural changes that Democrats have already. They've already made it clear. They said they want to pack the Supreme Court. I'm not making this up. They long for statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico. They they demand amnesty. Right. All of these things that are happening uh, or, or that they that they say they want to make happen. So all very, very important, all very, very important. Um, you also have uh, Andrew Yang out there making this point about Trump voters who might decide to sit, sit this one out. Play 11. Uh, The dynamics of this race, though, are really going to depend upon turnout because the fact is most people are going to show up to the ballot box and support either both John Ossoff and and Reverend Warnock or David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. They're they're unlikely to split their ticket. So it's Mm -hmm. vital that Democrats get every single voter out here in Georgia. And and I believe there are going to be many Trump voters uh, who may not participate. That would be a disaster. So let's all be very clear on that right now. It would be disastrous if Leffler and Warnock, uh, I'm sorry, if Leffler and Purdue did not win this thing. Disastrous. Uh, at that point, understand that we're just kind of at the whim of the Democrat federal government. There's very little we can do. You can hope the courts will protect you at some level, but they can't protect you on everything. And as we know, if you're a conservative, you're a Republican, there are areas where the court should protect you and it chooses not to. So a lot of very real challenges uh, here, a lot, a lot of things that would have me deeply worried about this, uh, which is why everybody know everybody who understands politics, that January 5th runoff, we need Republicans to win. 
better for the country. No question in my mind. Whatever you think of Trump, by the way, whatever you think of Trump's future prospects or the Trump movement, doesn't matter. We need, we need Republicans to have a majority in the Senate or else we're going to get steamrolled by the radical left, by the Marxist pseudo-Democrats, and we're just going to suffer. And the whole country will suffer. They'll think they're doing great stuff, but they're going to make America a poorer, less free, weaker, more depressing place to be. So the stakes in this Senate runoff, it couldn't be any higher for two Senate seats right now. This is it, friends. We are on the razor's edge here. We need victory in Georgia. So whatever you can do, get out there. However you can support the people uh, who are running. You know, whether I don't know if you're going to donate money, if you're going to volunteer, if you're going to just help with your own get out the vote effort. You've got to do everything in your power. It's essential that we win those two Senate seats, that they stay in the GOP column. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So I did have a little bit of time over the Thanksgiving holiday to relax, to chill out. And I, I watched something that I did not expect that I could like based on the subject matter. And, and just it seemed too weird. But yes, I, I watched this uh, documentary called My Octopus Teacher. Sounded so weird, right? How, how could this be any good? So it's about this guy in South Africa who is pretty much going through a, a maybe you call it a midlife crisis or some kind of a depression. And there's like nothing in life that he's really excited about. And he feels like he's becoming more distant from his family. And it's about this guy. And he likes to go. He remembered in his youth, he would go diving in these kelp forests, right? Kelp are these large aquatic plants. Um, and they can create a kind of underwater forest. And he liked to go uh, free diving in these kelp forests. And he decides he's going to go back. And this is maybe some kind of a, a personal meditation for him, or he's just going to reconnect with nature. And while he's swimming around the kelp forest, he comes across an octopus. And the octopus is a fascinating little creature. An oct- octopi, as you no doubt have, have seen, uh, they can change their colors and, and even really change their shape to match environments around them. I mean, it's stuff that it's almost like they're running on technology that's more advanced than anything we have, but it's all natural. It's all organic matter. It's incredible what they're able to do. And they're very strange. They're mollusks. You know, they're, they're almost like a snail without a shell, but they're smart. They, they can even engage in some problem solving. I, I didn't, I learned about octopus from, so I get in that sense, the octopus as a teacher learned about it. But this guy Develops because he shows up every single day. An octopus, an octopus only lasts about a year. I didn't realize a very short life cycle. So there, there's this high level of intelligence given what you would think of a mollusk. You know, it feels like how different are these things than jellyfish? But an, an octopus uh, is able to come up with all these different stratagems to save itself from predators, mostly sharks, but there are other predators, and or maybe it really, I guess it is just mostly sharks but you know that they're they're come up with these ways to save themselves other fish i'm sure will eat octopus i don't know barracuda maybe and this guy visits it every day and he becomes 
friends with an octopus. And this is all on video. I mean, he, he obviously had another guy with a camera who would go with him to tape this time in these kelp beds. And the octopus at some point decides that it's no longer scared of him. And then it'll actually go up and it starts to hang out with them. It'll attach itself to his chest with all of its little tentacles and and chill with him, like hang out like they're buddies. Like he's like he's a guy who comes home to the family dog. I it's I never seen anything like it before. It's crazy. It's on Netflix. I know some of you are very anti Netflix these days, and I understand why. But I'm just telling you, this was a very interesting. It's something it's a good thing to watch kind of late at night. It's very calming. And I'm going to tell you when when, you know, the octopus only lives a year, it gets a little. It's like the end of old Yeller. You get a little sad when the octopus. Finally, it's time for it to go to that great octopus graveyard at the bottom of the sea. Uh, so it, it was a surprise. Producer Mark, have you seen this one yet? I haven't, and I can't say I even want to a little bit after the description. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I liked it. I don't think you'd like this one. I don't, I, I don't know if Mrs. Mark wanted to watch. It's getting a lot of buzz. But yeah, it's this guy who befriends befriends an octopus, and it gives him a, a new perspective, a new lease on life from befriending an octopus. So, Does he make it calamari afterwards? That's squid. Different. Is it? I thought it was yeah. octopus. No, no, no. Octa uh, Wait, I think... Hold on a second. Let me just make sure I don't have that wrong. Yeah, it's definitely squid, but what do you... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's squid. But um, what do you call when you eat... Uh, when you eat oct What's the uh, Italian for octopus? I don't know. That's good, too, though. Now I feel kind of bad when I eat an octopus, though. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. Roll call, everybody. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and our Rumble channels. What is it? It's YouTube.com slash Buck Sexton. I assume Rumble is Rumble.com slash Buck Sexton. Is that right, Producer Mark? I believe so. It sounds right. Yeah, we're putting up videos. I'm also on I'm on uh, TikTok now. So I got a Buck Sexton TikTok. Have you done you the dances yet? Have I done those shuffle dances? No, I got to work on those a little bit. I got to get better at that. I'll be I'm eagerly better. awaiting your first shuffle dance post. Oh, I'm gonna. I got those funky moves. I got all the funky moves. All right, let's get to it, Brian. First up in the roll call here. This is in response to Cuomo's statement that law enforcement officers who refuse to enforce lockdown dictates are uh, mandates are dictators. As a former law enforcement officer, officers have always been given discretion when enforcing all laws. If you stop someone for traveling 65 in a 55 skewed limit zone, the officer is not required to issue a summons. They may use discretion to issue the summons, write a warning, a verbal warning, warning, or just flash his lights as an effective visual warning as he meets them on the roadway and not even make the traffic stop. Why can't they use discretion to enforce a governor's mandate that's not even a statute? Uh, Brian, that's that was my you and I are completely in agreement on this, friend. That was my argument here that cops have. I, I was calling it prosecutorial discretion. I know it's really more law enforcement executive discretion. Um, but, yeah, that's absolutely true. 
That's, you know, a, a cop. Think about it this way. There are noise ordinances, right? And the noise ordinance could have an arrest penalty attached to it if you're creating a disturbance. But usually if they show up and someone's having a party and it's going a little bit late, they'll say, all right, look, let's, you know, come on, tone it down a little bit. Let's let's call the party uh, by midnight or whatever. They don't arrest you. That's not a violation of the law. That's cops using their discretion. Well, clearly with COVID related stuff, all of that still applies. They're not really no one individual is putting everybody at risk from COVID. It's not some egregious thing. In fact, a vast majority of the people or, or almost all of the people that are obeying these COVID regulations aren't sick, don't have COVID and aren't putting anyone at risk with anything. So there's certainly a very clear case to be made for broad discretion around COVID. Um, but the way that they're trying to uh, set this up, if you don't do exactly what they tell you, you're a bad person. If you don't enforce these laws strictly and without any uh, attempt whatsoever at, uh, uh, you know, if, if you don't enforce the law in the most severe fashion, you're a bad person. That, that's basically what it is. You're a cop. You're a bad person. All right. Jeff Buck, I feel like this election was meant to crush the will of the people. Even with what seems to be blatant and ridiculous fraud, we're being told there's nothing to see here and asking questions is un-American. After Biden claims victory and becomes president, he'll push for amnesty. Once these 11 to 22 million illegals become illegal, they'll overwhelmingly vote for Democrats. Um, uh, In elections going forward, they will not need to commit fraud to win. What can be done at this point to reassure the American public that they should continue voting? I'm beginning to wonder if we still have a republic. Jeff, I understand your I understand your frustration and I understand your concern. I share it. I share it. As for what we can do about this, there's what we can do politically. There's what we can do in our own lives. Um, The first step, though, is understand that we are in this fight no matter what. You don't stop. You don't abandon your principles. You don't change who you are. You know, we will continue on. And we got to do so irrespective of what the outcome is here, irrespective of whatever happens with these legal challenges and these efforts to bring some clarity. It's a gentle way of saying it to this unbelievable. And I mean that in the sense of not able to be believed election result for Joe Biden. It is truly it is incredible as in not credible, right? It is unbelievable as in you cannot believe it. Uh, as for your concern over amnesty, yes, I think that that is very real. And I, I share that with you. Um, I think that if they get amnesty through, because remember, even if there's a later court challenge to the amnesty or whatever, it doesn't. Once you give people legal status, you'll never be able to take it away. Once you give somebody the right to be in America permanently, taking that away from them, you'd have to do it on a case by case basis. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So amnesty changes the long term voting patterns, the long term demographics of this country in a way that Democrats are well aware. I think that if they manage to pull that off, everything else becomes easier because they'll have a majority for everything else that they want. That's what I I really see happening in all of this that's what i think is going to be going on so yes it is 
it is critical that we not get to that point and that we do everything we can. We still have a republic, Jeff. If we let's just let's just war game this out a little bit. Let's say that we take those two Senate seats. Let's say we take those two Senate seats and then we have a Republican majority in the Senate. That makes it very hard for any major Democrat agenda item to get through. Yeah, there are executive orders, but the kind of structural change the Democrats are seeking here, it's you, you really can't get it with an executive order. Um, it, it would have to fall on the, on the legislative branch. But if they have control. So on the one hand, I'm telling you, feel better about it, Jeff, because I think we're, or I think we're in a good position to maintain Senate control. And as long as we do that, we can hold the line. Hold the line for this republic. Hold the line for the American people against this destructive, collectivist, Marxist lunacy that now runs the Democrat Party. Uh, if we lose, though, if we lose the, the Trump battle for this election as well as we lose the uh, effort to win these Senate seats, then I think we, we got to start thinking about, you know, do they have uh, space? One thing I always love to ask Americans, not that we would ever actually leave. I'm just saying that to be I'm just kind of kidding around a little bit of dark humor. Uh, where would you go? You think about all the major English speaking countries. I and mean, I think that language is the first thing that you want to know when you're if you're going to live in another country. You think of all the major English speaking countries around the world. And it's not like there's some law and order, limited government, liberty first right-wing utopia that exists somewhere else. And the closest thing to it is actually America. As crazy as that is. So we shall, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, Jeff. Stay in the fight, though, Jeff. Uh, Joe, I need to say it was encouraging to hear that President Trump is pushing forward here in Pennsylvania with his election lawsuits. This is from your interview with Boris Epstein. There's something wrong when you extend the voting deadline and allow missing or illegible postmarks on mailed ballots. Sounds like possible ballot stuffing to me. On the subject of stuffing, my dad and I are the patriarch cooks in the family. While we do use a small amount of celery, <gasps> celery in the stuffing? It is slow roasted in the turkey, no crunch, along with another key ingredient, sage sausage. Highly recommend it. I'm so thankful to have your podcast on iHeartRadio, and I'll be passing the buck along with the stuffing. I wish nothing but the best for you, producer Mark, and your families in the coming year. Shields High in Pennsylvania. Joe, thank you so much for the kind and uh, very encouraging note. We feel our Thanksgiving blessings. Producer Mark, aren't we thankful for Team Buck? We are Great thankful people. for Team Buck. Thank you for yes. being there and keeping us employed. Yes, indeed. It is, it is all the people who listen to this, listen to this on, on our, our many wonderful radio affiliates across the country, or listen to us on, on a podcast who subscribe to our various uh, digital platforms and social media channels. We are thankful for you because otherwise I would have to go back into a, a cubicle somewhere in the government and be miserable. So I, I owe all of you who listen to this show a debt of gratitude that I can never fully repay. But the closest thing I can do to repaying it is by doing the best darn show I can for you every single day. The most information dense analysis rich radio and podcast show anywhere. And I think we, on many days, I think we do achieve that. I think that that's fair to say. Mike, love your podcast. Been a loyal listener since the days when you became syndicated back in 20, 
11 and previously when filling in for Rush. Never emailed me before, but your seven or so mi- uh, seven or so minute segment on Larry Hogan, my governor, had me cracking up so much I about lost it on my drive home. We nicknamed him Lockdown Larry here for all his ridiculous uh, tirades since April. Between his hypocritical support for local business speeches while keeping them closed, um, his many failed test kits from South Korea, and his constant patting his own back when he was the head of the National Governors Association, it's all become very mundane. Your obviously valid points ring true to many of us Marylanders on the Eastern Shore, and for one, I appreciate the dedication you've continued to keep up during these years. I plan to be a continue, uh, continued loyal listener like always. Producer Mark, we love hearing your stories in this household during roll call as we as well. So keep them coming. Shields high. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Great to have a, a patriotic Marylander like yourself who's been with us now for many years. Producer Mark, I feel like you've kind of been uh, called into action here. Do you have any Thanksgiving updates for us? Any stories from over your holiday weekend? It was just a nice time with family, you know, a little different. Um, my in-laws are used to having... Anywhere from 30 to 50 people over, so obviously that didn't happen this year. It was just uh, uh, my wife and I, uh, her parents, and her sister, but uh, it was different, so we got to celebrate that, and we celebrated our first uh, wedding anniversary, actually, today. There we go. Oh. It was a great wedding, folks. I can it attest. Was. Great wedding. Very well done. Just incredible that it's been a year. That's amazing. Huh? Amazing it has been a year. Here we are. Uh, what was the... What was the best this time around of all the Thanksgiving options? What do you think was your what was your your culinary MVP at Thanksgiving this year? This is going to sound odd, but since uh, we're Jewish, we don't have a ham. The alternative meat to turkey is brisket, and it was very well done this year. It was fantastic. I love brisket. Yeah, brisket's amazing. Yeah, brisket is so it's common in Jewish cuisine as well as in barbecue. Exactly. Enough. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now brisket's delicious. What, what did brisket, you have? Anything good for you? I so you know the, the my mom, who is the matriarch of the Sexton family, she uh, she produced for all of us a a feast that included there was a kind of wild rice and butternut squash medley that was delicious on its own. But I mixed that with some of the mashed sweet potatoes. And it just was like this delicious, sweet paste of amazing fatty goodness. And I, I was a big fan of it. I'll yeah, tell that, you that. That sounds heavenly. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, it's really good whipped sweet potatoes. I, I just view it as almost like a condiment, like an accoutrement that you can you can put it on pretty much any other. You have it on on any other um, holiday, you know, uh, Thanksgiving item and it makes it better. I really it's like hummus in, hummus in Middle Eastern cuisine or, yeah. you know, Eastern Mediterranean cuisine. You put hummus on something, anything from that, whether it's the falafel, or the tabula or the, the shish kebab or whatever, you know, any of that stuff, add hummus to it. It tastes better. Yeah, I can't think of a bad use for a sweet potato, can you? No. No. Sweet it's potatoes delicious. are great. So, yeah, no. no and this is the part of the show where producer Mark and Buck get hungry again. So It, it happens almost happen. every day nowadays. It does. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call coming to you uh, here with Simcha. Just like producer Mark, I too know the pain of being a Mets fan. We're used to being less successful than we think we should be. 
We know we have a good team, but when we fail, we demand or don't demand better. We're used to licking our wounds, talking about being happy with small successes and saying there's always next season while other teams sign superstars and win championships. Sometimes being a conservative feels the same way. We give in to the demands and the lies of the left and say things like, maybe Trump will win in 2024. Let's just be happy we gained ground in the House. We'll keep a better eye on cheating in the Senate runoff. And how much can we expect with the left's control of the MSM and big tech? Trying to keep my shield high. Well, Simcha, I hear you, man. It sounds like you're uh, having a bit of a, a case of the Mondays here, case of the post-Thanksgiving Mondays. But first, let me ask Bruce and Mark, isn't the new billionaire owner of the Mets supposed to turn this whole thing around now? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be completely turned around. All of those feelings, I feel you, Simka, but they're gone. Uncle Stevie's going to take care of it for us. Uncle Stevie, because he Uncle Stevie's got the checkbook. He can. Yeah, he, he's worth he a make cool 14 billion. So, yeah. So I, I feel like whatever he needs to do for that team, he can do. And look, I would love it just for New York. I would love it if, if all of a sudden the Mets became you know, a truly sort of dynastic franchise. And even though by family tradition, I'm supposed to be a Yankees family, but I don't, I don't care. I'm not, I have no affiliate. So I just want what's best for my, my hometown, for my city. And so as far as I'm concerned, a Mets super team, great. And to compete you know? with the Yankees super team, they'll both be great. Oh, are the Yankees are still a super team? I don't Th- even know. They're that. always a super team. They're the Yankees. Yeah, makes sense. Allison, hey, Buck, love your show. Such a great topic. It's ridiculous to cover people's school loans. All they're doing is giving tax dollars to the universities, banks, and people that make bad decisions. Our girls work hard to get into the local tech high school, one for CNA and one for biotech. The CNA got into a great nursing program at a state university with relatively low costs. The other will start her co-op. This is the only thing that makes sense for high school and beyond. Thanks for all you do. Shields high. Yeah, Allison, I think we are going to see a lot of changes. A lot of a different approach going forward. It's going to take time, but I think people are realizing more and more that spending the kind of money that that people do to go to these schools, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth thirty, forty thousand dollars a year in tuition expense, as well as the lost years of more useful learning to go to a second or third tier state school. I'm just going to say it, you know, or to go to a second or third tier liberal arts college. It's not necessarily worth it. A lot of ways to get a lot of skills and do very well. So I think that that's going to be a change. Folks, excited to be with you every day this week. Please pass the buck. Tell people to go check out the Buck Sexton show. Until next time, Shields High.